Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24. That's where we find ourselves this morning as we continue our study in the book of Genesis. Our lives are made up of a million little events, aren't they? Little things of everyday life. Getting up, eating meals, going to work, getting the kids ready for school or maybe for church this morning, right? Getting a haircut, watching television, going shopping, all these little things. It was recently that the Lord, through a marriage study that Gretchen and I are doing, reminded me of these things. You see, life isn't just about these big events like weddings or maybe getting our first job or having a child or even sad events like losing a loved one. Life is mostly made up of all those little moments of our everyday life, isn't it? Most of the time, though, when we talk to God, when we pray to God, we, we try to orient our lives around more of the big stuff, don't we? We reach out to the Lord for guidance or direction, maybe before, during, or even after these big things in our life, which is good and right. We should do that. But you see, it's also in those little moments, those little moments in life where God is working as well. Do you know that? And where we need to understand even the smallest detail of our day, God is involved. God's involved. And today, our story in Genesis 24 is going to show us a bit of God working both in a big thing, but also the little details of everyday life. And what I mean by this is, what we're looking at this morning is how God works through providence, God's providence. Okay, you might be thinking, what is that? Well, God's providence basically means that God sees to and works in all things in life. Okay? Providence comes from the root of to provide, okay? So to provide is, is to supply what is needed for something, right? To provide for. Well, you know when there's a task or maybe something that you need to take care of, we'll, see, we'll say something like, I'll see to that, right? When we need to do something, okay? When you need to handle that, to provide for it. Well, God's providence is, I'll see to that with the entire universe, Okay? With the entire universe. And so providence is providing for and sustaining and governing the universe by God. Okay, that is God's providence. Genesis 24, God is going to see to a wife for Isaac. Okay? The means by which God is going to orchestrate events, both big maybe and small, to provide a wife for Abraham's son. That's what we're going to see this morning. So our message today is seeing God's providence and faithfulness to the children of God, okay? Now, before we get into this, this is the longest chapter in Genesis. And we're gonna go through every verse, so strap it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're just gonna read a few of the verses, and we're gonna hit a few highlights. So let's begin there, starting in verse one, chapter 24. It'll be up on the screen. This is God's holy and sovereign word. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, 
Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under his thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, and he arose and he went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women would go to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for, for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Melchah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known, she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a drink of water, to, or a drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When he had finished giving him a drink, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered in his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half a shekel, two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels, and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the, in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Amen. Let's pray one more time. Father, help us to gain wisdom and insight from this chapter, to see you working here and working in our own lives this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so verses 1 through 9 there, Abraham, he's an old man now. He's probably 140, okay? 
His wife Sarah now is gone, if you remember, and it's time to think about his son's future, Isaac. The son through whom the promises are going to continue, right? In order for that to happen, he's going to have to get a wife and he's going to have to have children, right, for that to continue. So Isaac by this time is probably 40, around 40 years old, okay? Clearly Abraham's feeling like his end is coming, right? His life is going to be over soon, so he wants to find a suitable woman for his son. So Abraham goes, he grabs his most trusted servant, and he gives him a mission. The mission, operation, find Isaac a wife, okay? (laughs) Now, this whole mission, I I get it. It seems very strange to us, okay? You're going to, your dad, okay, think about if it was Isaac, sending one of his servants out to choose you a wife from another country, okay, to marry without dating, meeting, or anything. And it might sound horrible. You might be thinking, that sounds horrible. I was thinking about this honestly, though. I wouldn't mind if I had, like, my trusted brother Sam, and I'm thinking about my daughters here especially, to send him out somewhere and find somebody for my daughter. You know, then I don't have to think about the guys she's going to bring home that I'm going to want to run off or hate or whatever. Seems easier and less stressful. But listen... We have this modern idea that the people we marry have to be perfect. we got to find the right one, right? My soulmate. And the world has even led us to believe it might take us several attempts or even marriages to find that one. Our society's idea of marriage is completely focused upon the emotional aspect of it and not the reality of it, okay? The reality is there's no such thing as a perfect soulmate. Just hear that right off the bat, everyone. If you don't know that already, you're marrying an imperfect sinner. Did you know that? And they're, they're just, they're not perfect. Should God direct us to marry by God's grace, we hope to find one with godly characteristics that we find in Scripture and that we will learn to love unconditionally and sacrificially all our life because marriage is important to God. It's important as plan to point us to Christ and the church. And really, that's all Abraham is doing here. Okay, understand, he wants to ensure that his son, whom he loves, will be with a godly girl that will love him, support him, as they continue with God's promises. Do you see? That's all he's after here, his good intentions. And listen, the focus of this passage, my focus here is not on marriage. Okay, this is not a sermon on marriage. But I think it is worth noting that finding a man or a woman with godly characteristics is where believers should start. And also having the input of a godly mother or father for those that you bring home is not a bad thing as well. Okay? Abraham wants to find his son a good one. All right? Now, two important elements to this operation find Isaac a wife that Abraham communicates to his servant. Number one, the wife cannot be a Canaanite, okay? Cannot be from the land that they're in right now, okay? They worship false gods. It has to be from Abraham's family line back in the original country that he came from, okay? Secondly, that Isaac himself cannot go back to find the wife. He's got to stay put, okay? Those are those two important things he communicates to his servant, Now, these are both important requirements, and you might be asking yourself, why? Why these two things, okay? It's because of the covenant promises, okay? 
Abraham was trying to ensure the next generation of his family followed the Lord and followed his promises in the land. Okay? So it's important that Isaac's wife not be a Canaanite from this pagan land. Later on in Scripture, okay, with Moses, the Israelites are forbidden to intermarry with people outside the Jewish community. Okay? Not to mention what Esau's going to do in just a couple more chapters when he marries. I'm not even going to get to that. Sam will deal with that in a couple weeks. But Isaac needs to remain in the promised land. If he goes, if he leaves to find a wife, he might be enticed to stay back in that country in Ur Ur of the Chaldeans where Abraham was from. Now listen. (laughs) Women can be persuasive, can't they? Imagine Isaac goes back, finds a beautiful wife and her family. It's got a nice little piece of land, right? Men are, well, not always led by rational thought when it comes to choosing a woman either, Right? Wouldn't be hard for her to convince him, stay, come on, let's just stay here, it's fine, right? Stay in my hometown. But see, Abraham knew how important the land was to the promise, right? So Isaac needed to stay put to prevent any chance of Isaac leaving and staying in in the foreign land, okay? He's got to stay in the promised land. And so in all these things, these two directions that we see from Abraham, this is wisdom and direction, Think about all the things that that Abraham has gone through in his life with the Lord. And I think he probably thought something like this. Through my son Isaac, God will fulfill the covenant to be the God of my descendants and bless all nations through him. So, I need to take care that Isaac doesn't marry a woman who worships other gods and can take him out of the promised land. Do you see? That's what he's concerned about. And so the servant has to make an oath to Abraham before he goes. Did you see that there? It's a bit of an odd oath. Put your hand under my thigh, okay? And what he's really talking about, this is the power of procreation area that he's putting his hand, to put it, okay, in gentle terms, all right? But this is the sign of how serious this oath is. It's an intimate thing. The sign of the promise also, if you remember, the sign of circumcision is also located here, okay? So this is the promise to the future generations, Isaac, his future wife. All those things are at stake here. So that's what's going on in that oath. And Abraham there, look at verse 7, is confident the Lord will provide his, his wife. Look, it says, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. He has walked with the Lord long enough, right, to know God is indeed faithful to his promises. Amen? He knows. Abraham Also there repeats that warning. No matter what happens, verse 8, don't take Isaac back there, okay? Isaac cannot leave the promised land to find a wife, but I know the Lord's going to provide when you go. These are are the last recorded words of Abraham in Scripture. This is it. This is the last time he speaks. I'll tell you what it shows us. It shows us Abraham's reliance on the providence and the promises of God. That's what it shows us. He's sure it's going to happen. Abraham loved the Lord. 
And he wanted to honor him and follow him the best that had been revealed to him. And so I think he showed wisdom in the directions he gave his servant, but also he showed his reliance upon the Lord to find that right one for him. Then in God's providence and plan, he's going to direct his servant. Basically, Abraham is sure God is going to lead in this kind of, this is a big life event, right? We were talking about that at the beginning. This is a big deal to Abraham and to Isaac. Now, verses 10 through 14, we see the servant pack up and go. So he packs up 10 camels, supplies, gifts, and he sets off for the city of Nahor, which is a long journey, by the way, about 740 miles. He's got a long way to go. And also, it's, I think it's worth mentioning, not just everyone back then had 10 camels, okay? Abraham was minted. He was probably one of the most wealthy people in the Middle East at that time. So the servant goes with lots, so 10 camels, lots of money, gifts, and additional servants to go and fetch Isaac a bride, okay? So they go, they finally reach the town, verse 11, and they go to a well, and his servant comes up with a plan there, verses 12 through 14. Notice what he does here. He prays to the Lord, and he asks for a sign, okay? Verses 12 through 14. And what he prays for, if a woman comes, says, let me, let me drink when I ask her, and also, if she offers to water my camels, may that be a sign that this is the woman for Isaac, right? Those are the two things that he asks for. What's interesting, this is the first recorded prayer for specific guidance in Scripture up to this point. Notice The servant did nothing. He just got to the well and he prayed. No other initiative in the situation. He just left it to God's hands to control and guide. Now, yes, he did did pray for specific things. We'll get to that. But this sign he's asking for, it's not like a sign in the clouds type of thing. You know what I'm talking about? These type of prayers, right? Show me a miracle, God. Let the roof off come off this place and show me you're real or something like that. That's not what he's praying here. He's not praying, God, physically point out the woman with a giant flashing neon sign so I know. That's not how he's praying here. He's just a humble servant asking for a few specific things to guide him in the decision to find the right one. Now, he clearly had, again, a couple specific things he prayed for. Offer me a drink. And water my camels. Now, does that sound a little silly to you? Why, why, why would those be the two things? Why would he choose those two things? But see, these things are actually quite wise. Because a woman who comes to do these things is going to have godly characteristics. You know why? Because it shows that she's kind, right? Giving water to this man. She's thoughtful of other people, a hard worker and a humble servant. Because listen, guys, to get water for 10 camels is a tremendous task. Do you have any idea? Camels can drink up to 100 liters of water. Okay? He's got 10 of them. The pitcher that she's carrying can hold about 12 liters. And it says there 
she's going to fill them until they're full. Can you imagine how long that would take? That would probably take hours going down into the well and back up. This is a tremendous task the servant was asking for. So he's saying, God, reveal a woman that would show these characteristics. This was a wise plan, I think, filled with prayer. That's what it was. And I love how specific his prayer is on these things. We can learn a few things from that prayer, actually. May not be exactly how we ask the Lord, but specific prayer is a side point, but specific prayer is a good thing, church. And for this servant, this is an important prayer for an important person in his life, right? This is, again, one of these big life event prayers. He's committed it to the Lord, rightfully so. But see, I want us to see something now. On the other side of all this going on, I want us to notice how the Lord works in the everyday life of the woman who has come to this well. Verses 15 through 21 Before he'd finished praying, speaking, a woman came. Her name was Rebecca. Turned out to be one of Abraham's brother's kin. Okay, it was basically Isaac's cousin. Okay, so now here in God's providence and provision, Rebecca appears before Abraham's servant, and wouldn't you know it, she does what the servant prayed for. She offers him water and waters all of his camels as he just sits there and watches in, in amazement, okay? I want you to think about this for a second. Rebecca was just doing what she did every day. What she always did for her family that day. She was a faithful servant to her home. She came to the well in the evening to draw water and thought nothing of it. And then a stranger with an entourage comes and asks you for water. And again, instead of serving herself, because this is who she is, she serves this man and all the camels. She's an amazing woman. And little does she know, her life is going to drastically change after this. God was working in all of that, even in the everyday moments of Rebecca's life. Do you see? God is working to weave something. This is is the providence of God working in the small details of life. Okay, she was just going to the well that day. What if Rebecca, though, was having a bad day? I thought about this. I don't know why. Having a bad day and just not living with a servant heart like she should be. She probably would not have served the man, right? Got her water and headed back home. I can't be bothered with this guy today. I'll tell you, we can be like that too if we're not walking close to the Lord, can't we? If we're not sensitive to the Spirit's guidance in our lives and we allow the stresses of everyday life to overwhelm us, we can miss out what the Lord is doing in even the small things. You know, there's, you know those little situations in life when you say, why did that happen? Or how did that happen? Just the little tiny ones, like those one in a million events in your day. Those tiny things, you're like, why, why Lord? Why did that just happen? 
I have those all the time. Just, just this last week, I got out of the car at home, and I wa- walked inside, as I always do, right? About 15 minutes later, the car alarm goes off. So I grabbed the keys, and I, I heard it, and I clicked it off. And Gretchen looks out the window, and she's like, where's the car? I said, what do you mean? It's right in front. She's like, no, it's not. <laughs> so we walked outside. The car, the auto handbrake had not engaged, when I, and it rolled back into the cul-de-sac into a fence into the hedge. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me right now. Okay? And I thought, why, Lord? Why would you, why, would, why did that happen? What are you trying to teach me in something so insignificant in my day? Well, I'll tell you something. We're kind of talking about it, but if my wife did that, how would I have responded? Probably not very well. Probably a little frustrated, angry. How could you get out of the car and not set the parking brake? And you know how Gretchen responded? Grace, she laughed at it. God working even in something that little to show me my heart. Do you see? It's a little thing, little insignificant thing in my daily life to show me my heart. That's seeing God in everything. God works even in the little events of our life in his plan and providence to grow us and show us more of himself. And here God is working in the daily routine of Rebecca to reveal a bigger plan God had been orchestrating from eternity past. Okay? So stay with me. Verses 22 through 28. The servant speaks to Rebecca, asks her who her family is, gives her gifts, gold nose ring and bracelets, and then the servant asks to come stay with the family for the night, basically to chat things through. And Rebecca says, listen, that's great. I've got, come, we've got plenty of room for you. Okay, essentially. Now, verse 26, notice the response of the servant. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. You see the response of the servant there? It's worship. Not only did he show, I think, great wisdom praying back in verse 12 for God to direct him that way, but now we see in verse 26 his acknowledgement of God's guidance. And all he can do to respond is praise, right? All he can do is praise the Lord. And then from verse 29 through 49, which we didn't read, but cover this whole chapter, basically they go back and we're introduced to Laban, her brother, Rebecca's brother, and her father. They show hospitality to Abraham's servant and all his camels and everything. Laban, though, he's at it. He doesn't show hospitality until he sees the gold, okay? He's like, oh, they're rich. Come on in, guys. Laban's at it. We'll see him in a few more chapters later, okay? But they provide a place for the servant. But before Abraham's servant can eat or sleep or anything, he stays focused on the mission, right? Operation, find Isaac a wife. So he retells the entire story 
from the beginning to Rebecca's family. He's, what he's trying to do, he's trying to show them God's hand in this and his providence. He retells the entire story from verse 29 to 49, detail by detail. Because he wants his family, or Rebecca's family, to see God in this. God's hand in this. And then verse 50 to 51, they hear the story, the father and the brother, and they essentially say there, do you see that? Then Laban, verse 50, and Bethuel answered and said, this thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. They saw God's providence in this. They confirmed it. So they said, go ahead, you can take her. We see the Lord in this. And then verses 52 to 54, the servant then blessed the family, gave them a load of gifts, and they all went to bed buzzing that night. They got up the next morning, and the family, they wanted to hold on to Rebecca for 10 more days. I can understand that, right, as a parent? Like, let us, let us have her. But the Abraham's servant was like, listen, my mission, do not delay. We need to take her now, okay? And so he says that we need, and so basically they let it come down to Rebecca. Rebecca, would you like to go with them? Verse 58. They called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. I will go. So they sent her away. Understand something here. Rebecca, I think, exercises some faith in this situation, wouldn't you say? Can you imagine all that she knows right now is clearly God is in this, right? What God has orchestrated through that providential meeting at the well. She knows Abraham's minted. She knows that probably, but that's all she knows. And with these basic facts, she in faith goes. I can't think of anything, anybody more suited to be Isaac's wife than Rebecca here. A godly servant clearly sees the Lord in this and goes in faith of what God is clearly doing in this situation. Right? And she's obedient to it. Church, this story that we just briefly ran over this morning, this is it's not a miracle, as we see in Scripture many, many times. This, this is God bringing about Isaac's bride through the normal, everyday events of life. Think about it, daily chores, customs from the ancient Near East, right? Meetings, prayer, Providence. As one guy said, believers are never in the grip of blind forces like chance or fate or luck, right? All that happens to us is divinely planned, and each event comes as a new opportunity for us to trust, obey, and then rejoice. And that's what we see here. Church, our lives are not ruled by chance or fate. It's by God. Listen, God maintains all of life. He involves himself in all events and directs all things to their appointed end, while at the same time, 
seemingly rarely interrupting the natural order of our lives. At certain times, yes. But see, God is not simply a God of miracles, which he is that, but he's not simply a God of miracles that occasionally shows up. He is far greater because he arranges all of life, everything, to affect his providence. God is over everything. He's sovereign. He is powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-present, all-controlling. This is the God of Abraham and Isaac. This is the God of the Bible. And this is our God, church. Amen? That's our God. And again, providence is God's purposes in dealing with man that he will see to it, all of it, all of your life. And as his children, we can take heart that it is God, day in, day out, in his providence, that continues his promises of Scripture and works it out in our lives individually. Isn't that great? And thankfully, though, he did intervene in human history, in the everyday run of life, to send his only son, Jesus, right? He orchestrated life, events, nations, and people that all led to God's redemption in Jesus Christ. His perfect, sinless life, his sacrificial death for sin on the cross, his glorious resurrection from the dead, conquering sin and death. Listen, even here in Genesis 24... God is orchestrating that very thing. Jesus. The promised seed is to come through this one. Do you understand that? He's orchestrating it even now. 2,000 more years before it's going to happen. Church, isn't that incredible? In this, this everyday life event, he's orchestrating, pointing us forward to Jesus. And if you look back on your own life for just a second, when Christ first came into view, it was probably through everyday normal circumstances as well. Situations in your life that were just happening, right? Every day. Just going about our lives, wandering in our sin, but then through providence and circumstances, God breaks in. And he opens our eyes to the gospel. It's pretty incredible if you take a moment to think about that. To look back on your life and think of all the things he has weaved together. Both difficult things and hard things and good things. He takes all of it and weaves it together in his providence to point you to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And he continues to do it every day in your life, church, in all the little things and the big things to show you he is there, 
And he is working his plan and purposes in you. That's his providence. And when I think about that in my own life, all I can do in response is exactly what the servant did. Worship. Praise. How else can I respond to that? Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And for those here today, and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you being here this morning is not by chance. It is God-ordained. You see? It's not by chance. God brought you here. It's God's providence. And today I pray that today is the day God opens your eyes to see Jesus for who he is. The one who came, died for our sins, and rose from the dead. And that you put your faith and trust in him.